the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment, another edition of The Advocate. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking to Danny Clisson, who's the, the voice of the Cleveland National Air Show. And we're going to be talking about the air show coming up uh, Labor Day weekend here in Cleveland, Ohio. Danny, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Good to hear your voice, Colonel. Proud to be on And good to hear your... <laughs> Good to hear your voice as well. Uh, well, you know, we on the radio show here have been talking about COVID for the last year and a half. Uh, and how has that been affecting air shows generally? If you don't mind, I think, in my humble opinion, that everybody's heard enough of that, about that. I have a tendency to go forward and not backward. Good. So if I could direct... The fact that we're going back to normal living with great exuberance in all kinds of venues and atmospheres and live presentations, street festivals, car festivals, America's back, and we're back with a vengeance to be able to enjoy our freedoms and have fun and be entertained and get out there and have, have happy feet again. So I'm a forward-thinking guy. The radio stations, the TV stations, the newsprint, and everything is just saturated with doom and gloom. I I just don't want to go there. There's too too much great, too many great things happening in our future. Well, fair fair enough. Well said. I, I think what we want to do is to uh, talk about the the air show community because actually. Uh, the the air show community is in fact a community. We over the years get to know these uh, these performers and we get to even recognize these aircraft. Uh, and you're going to be here in Cleveland, uh, September 4th, 5th, and 6th for the uh, Cleveland National Air Show. And uh, how's that looking? Well, it looks absolutely great. In fact, I'm looking at the uh, last tentative schedule in front of me now from the Air Boss. And uh, the great thing about Cleveland and the great professionals that run it. Uh, they, they are such a study in, uh, in precision, variety, entertainment, and thrills and chills. It's just another example of things that the crowd, the great spectators, don't get to see day in and day out. And uh, so it'll be great action with activity in the air, and uh, we don't curtail our entertainment just to the air. We have ground-based action as well. So great variety of award-winning acts in the civilian world and uh, a lineup of great Top Gun-type fighter pilots and very large transport military aircraft, state-of-the-art uh, A-10 demos, and uh, pyrotechnics and we're, we're going to blow the airport up without going to prison, Nick. We're, 
Oh, Mixed oh, gas good with dynamite starting at about 7 o'clock in the morning. And then we have uh, some of our jets, like the A-10 demonstration, they they kind of set it off. They set it off, and uh, the ground shakes beneath your feet, then your rib cage rattles, and you feel the heat from the from the flames, and it just brings a... It brings uh, joy and um, excitement to people of all ages, to families, all families, all people of, of all ages in the families. Just something you don't get to see and do every day that we do legally and safely at an air show. And it's just, it is just an absolute thrill and a hoot. Now, we each uh, year when we have the Cleveland Air Show, we do have one of the uh, one of the military precision flying teams, and I understand this year it's going to be the Thunderbirds. Is that right? Yes, you bet. Thunderbirds are back, and uh, they have had some joyful presentations so far across the country, and are very uh, enthused about being back to Cleveland, which we all are, because of the tremendous tradition that goes back to 1929 in both barnstorming and air racing. And that continue that uh, tradition continues Labor Day weekend, and we're so fortunate to be able to have a three-day show. Most towns, of course, uh, Saturday and Sunday as our normal venue, but in Cleveland we get to have a little bit more fun, and we actually have a full show on Monday, the actual holiday. So it's very unique. It's uh, something we all look forward to, and as a your show performer, no matter what capability, what capacity you come to a town in because Cleveland has such a great tradition. Everybody wants to play Cleveland. That's a show business term. That means you, you want to perform there. <laughs> so it's a, it's a treat being a part of it and uh, continuing what our great heroes did, the Barnstormers and Speed Kings did back before World War II. And then their resumption of racing after World War II was mm-hmm. over and right into the current state-of-the-art entertainment we have coming up this holiday weekend. Now, when, when you do the air shows, from, from a standpoint of being an announcer, I mean, you, you've you been doing this for many years. Uh, how do you prepare for the air show? Well, you know, or do you do it all from memory? I mean, you, you just know this <laughs> stuff. You, uh, that would be a nice compliment, but I am constantly rehearsing, constantly studying constantly looking for new information that would be entertaining to the crowd. So you've really never stopped prepping from one show to the next. You just do your homework, do your homework, do your homework, and uh, bring out the points that might be of entertainment and and interest to uh, spectators, no matter what their age are, no matter what uh, position they have in their family. Well, it's going to be a big crowd, typically. Hopefully, the weather's going to be very nice for it. What What are some of the things we can anticipate seeing at the uh, Cleveland Air Show this year? Well, let's see. In addition, we've already uh, talked about the Thunderbirds. They're going to cap off our show every afternoon at approximately 3.30. But uh, we have some new entrants, relatively new entrants, into exhibition oh. aviation. And in addition to the Cleveland Aero Modeling Society, the RC controlled aircraft coming back, and their award-winning and national uh, champion flyers, we've also got one of the newest aspects of aviation. And there's a lot 
being said and read about drones, the unmanned aircraft systems. So we have drone work right. coming back again this year to demonstrate the state-of-the-art uh, form of aviation that has got so many different capabilities in terms of military and commercial work. And now they they are even putting out some exhibition teams. They're doing formation drone work with several in the air at the same time, formation precision flying. So it is an act, and it's extremely entertaining. And I learn quite a bit about drones every year at Cleveland, wherever else we may go. So the U.S. Army Golden Knights, they're coming back. You know, just several years ago, we all went to their home at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, celebrated uh-huh. their 50th anniversary. What a what a celebration that was. So they're coming back. They have a new airplane to Cleveland. It's uh, several years old to the team now, but we had expected to see it in Cleveland in 2019. But lo and behold, they brought in the C-31 Friendship, one of two aircraft that they have in their inventory for the Golden Knight team. It has been retired, and now they have a de Havilland-8 aircraft. They have a military designation for that. So we'll see the new airplane and the new paint scheme uh, for its first time in Cleveland. And uh, let's see, coming in from Minot, North Dakota, is the award-winning civilian pilot, Kent Peach. Comes from a big air show entertainment family in Minot, North Dakota. His dad, his brothers, all air show pilots. And he's got some unique form of precision. He is um, going to attempt to land his 1940s airplane, known as an interstate cadet. He's going to attempt to land it on a moving truck going down the runway. Um, That sounds a bit dangerous. It is precision. Uh, We, you know, there's inherent danger in everything, but these are the pros. They don't take any chances. And what we do over the years is build that as an attempt. If we have some gusting winds, if we have crosswinds that affect the aircraft and its controllability, we will say that nobody will try harder to accomplish the act, but if it's not safe, it's not safe. But if we've got typical winds coming right down the runway at Burke this weekend, a great professional like Kent Peach should be able to pull it off. Plus, he'll have some other surprises as well. He's sponsored by Jelly Belly Candies, made in America, about 125 <laughs> flavors. They are gourmet. And he's got Jelly Belly all over his airplane and all over that. We call it the world's smallest aircraft carrier. And... The, uh, <laughs> it sounds like it would be. Yeah, the touchdown area is uh, is just uh, let's see, it's about seven inches narrower than the rack that it comes on. So it's a very precision landing, and it is no oh, longer than the length of the airplane for the tail wheels to come down and to land on the platform as well. So it's something oh, we're going to take a. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to, to Danny Clisham. He's the voice of the Cleveland National Air Show. Uh, after our break, we'll be back with Danny. We're going to be talking more about the Cleveland Air Show coming up this Labor Day weekend here in Cleveland. So don't go away. We'll be right back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Danny Clisham. He's the voice of the Cleveland National Air Show coming up this Labor Day weekend here in Cleveland. And uh, we're talking about what, what one might expect to see at the air show and why you should come out there. Uh, the air show in Cleveland has been around for many, many years. Danny, thank you for being with us. Uh, it's a joy. It's a pleasure. A wide variety of sights and sounds in the air and on the ground, and that's our... Uh, that's our theme. It's family orientated. It's family fun. It's out of doors. We're free again. We got happy feet. <laughs> There's something for little kids in strollers and the great grandparents and and grandparents and everybody in between. So it's a great variety show and things you don't get a chance to see and do day in and day out. And by the way, I wanted to feature one of our featured acts comes to us from New Orleans, Louisiana. <laughs> they are oh. flying the mighty F-15. And earlier this year, our air boss, Jim Tucheron, whose call sign is Tuch, we worked to show on Miami Beach, and this um, team, the F-15s from New Orleans, were one of our featured acts. And those people, those boys from New Orleans just tore it up over Miami Beach. So Tuch and I are looking at one another and said, we got to get them for Cleveland. And lo and behold, they're coming up all the way from New Orleans, I'm using a little dialect there. No, Lincoln, yeah, there you are. And they're hotter up, yeah. than a firecracker, and they're as hot as gumbo <laughs> coming up there. And we got guys like Beauregard and Tater, and they, they are just great fun. But, man, do they fly those F-15s. You know, it's one of the really hot, hot uh, Top Gun jets that was so state-of-the-art. We kept them for ourselves and our very close allies rather than sell them to uh, – to friendly nations around the world, they were mm-hmm. uh, they were our, in our back pocket in case uh, we needed them, and they're still in production uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. So we're happy to see the. Um, we're gonna have a little Cajun fun, play a little Cajun music when they tear up the sky, and uh, let's see. We've um, Metro Life Flight will be back with their helicopters. We're going to have uh, a great act. Adam Baker. Adam Baker is coming to us from. McKinney, Texas, with his playful aircraft, it not sports a paint job, but a story. His entire his entire airplane is a story on the wings and the fuselage, and it ties oh. into uh, a, a game that they they market and that he and his wife uh, developed. So it's another tremendous form of entertainment. Now let's not forget about Cleveland's favorite. Ground act. It's a shockwave jet powered truck. Hit I was going to ask about and, that. Oh yeah. Tell us about Cleveland that. Would not be complete without. It's a triple jet engine, Peterbilt truck, by the um, Darnell family. They are award winners. They won the Art Scholl Award for Showmanship a couple of years ago, 2019, at our Black Tie Awards banquet. And it's uh, an award given for people with imagination and with great entertainment and uh, uniqueness. So that's the reason they won it. We now have three generations of Darnells. The mom and dad will be racing at another location somewhere. But Chris Darnell, the son, and his wife will be manning the truck and doing the high-speed runs. And then their daughters have got a relatively new feature. They've got a bounce house adjacent the truck display that is three times the size of the shockwave. So the girls, the daughters, are the third generation, and they are kids helping kids to get in the bounce house and have fun 
and shoot some hoops and jump up and down and just have that unique experience. So the shock wave is going to be going down the runway at uh, set a speed record of 327 miles per hour some years ago. It's attested by the Guinness Book of Records. It's got raw flames coming out the three jet engines and back afterburner. It's got raw flames coming out the side stack, and it goes down the runway 300 miles an hour in just a matter of seconds. And uh, we'll we'll let uh, Chris Darnell show that off, and we'll probably do sure. a little challenge racing with uh, one of our civilian pilots. By the way, we're adding Bill Stein. Bill Stein from Northern California will be in with his Edge 540, another unique airplane that actually changes colors in flight. It is oh, painted how does, in different colors. How does it colors. do that? It is pure magic. I still can't explain huh. it, but it's got about eight different colors depending on sun intensity, sun angle, and where you're standing. We have a little contest to name the color of Bill's airplanes. Bill's airplane when he flies, and uh, then we announce the winner at the end of the show. So it is the only type of paint job like that on an airplane in the world today. Bill is the recipient of the highest award given in our air show industry. It is a sword of excellence. And he was recipient of that just a couple of years ago. So very much in demand guy. And uh, that uh, kind of rounds out our civilian uh, contingent. And, uh, of course, two great demonstrations from the Golan Knights bringing in the American flag with our national anthem, doing the flight line spread, and then coming back for their full 35-minute show towards the end of the afternoon. Uh, let's see. We will have also, we have the A-10 demonstrations. That's the A-10 Thunderbolt II. This uh, airplane built around a seven-barrel Gatling gun. It's a tank destroyer. And it is an awesome airplane, twin engine, twin tails, very unique, low to the ground, and uh, in-your-face type of airplane. And uh, Air Force flies that. And they're the ones who are going to set off the pyro. They'll come in and do a series of bursts across the infield of the, um, between the runway and the taxiway. And we'll, <laughs> we'll shake the world up. It's just too much fun. And it's all legal, <laughs> Nick. Yeah, I like the legal. I like part. the legal part. Uh, the legal part, yeah. It, you would like that as a colonel. Being a lawyer, I, of course. <laughs> yes, and then the U.S. Coast Guard has come back in. They always give us a great demonstration over the runway of what they do in terms of rescue, day in and day out. Uh, we don't get a chance to see an actual rescue uh, live and in person. They simulate it over the runway so the crowd can actually see what they uh, are are. Uh, trained to do day in and day out, a very rigorous training, and uh, without bad weather, so to speak, and without uh, gusting winds. So that's uh, very informative, and the Coast Guard uh, deserves a lot of credit. They're very demanding uh, job that they have, and it takes its toll on, on men and women, just like any other form of the military, but uh, they've got great sacrifice, and they're, they're on hand uh, watching our waterways day in and day out. Uh, well, well, very, very good. But, you know, one of the most important things that we get out of going to the air show, besides visually seeing what's going on, is listening to you and your narration, because you you are on constantly, pretty much, from the beginning of the air show to the end, informing us of all these details. So you're going to learn about what the A-10 is all about. Uh, I understand we're going to have a C-17 in. We're seeing a oh, lot yeah. of those on the C-17. news right about now. That- 
Oh, we've done a lot of work with the C-17s. They come all the way out from the left coast. They're up in the Seattle area. They got a great <laughs> flight demonstration team. That's an awesome airplane. Very, very large transport, uh, Air Force transport airplane. But they uh, are able to land it a short field like a Piper Cub. They take off like a Piper Cub, but it is an amazing airplane. And these uh, guys and gals are just fantastic who, who uh, crew the airplane and who take it on the demonstrations uh, show after show. So it's a, a u- unique airplane in the air. Uh, very large, very big, takes up a lot of space, but very agile. We'll talk to you about some of the great features that make it a successful transport airplane for uh, for U.S. military. Well, we've been seeing a lot about the C-17. and uh, Does the Air Force still fly the C-5, or is that totally retired? No, the C-5 is still in the inventory, uh, and we see it occasionally. We used to see C-5s at air shows a lot, but those days are over. I think they're trying to save the time on the airplane for actual military missions as opposed to demonstrations. But, uh, no, the C, uh, C-5, the world's uh, l- the largest jet in our U.S. military inventory, uh, that has been re-engined. So it's got a big future to it, but I think they're saving it up for military missions. That, that makes, makes a lot of sense. But real quick, in the last uh, the remaining minute we have here, uh, how many air shows, just so our listeners know, how many air shows do you do a year approximately? Uh, when things are good and things are normal, I'm between 12 and 15 cities a year. Yeah. Well, that, that's a lot to hear. Truly the voice of aviation because uh, as we're watching the airplanes, we get to know about what these aircraft are doing. We get to know what their maneuvers are, and we get to know a lot about them through your voice. So we really appreciate that so much. Well, you're very kind. So, Thank you so much. And, and I always appreciate our time on the air and uh, your contributions to the community and hopefully we'll see you out there on Labor Day weekend along with um, millions and millions and millions of spectators <laughs> of all ages. <laughs> well, like you say, getting getting back to normal, this is part of it. So Labor Day weekend, the Cleveland National Air Show along with Danny Clisham. Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Put on your happy feet. Come out and see us. We'd love to have you. Roger, Roger that and Wilco. Very good. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, tonight, in these next two segments, we're going to be talking to Judge Joan Sinnenberg, a judge in the Cuyahoga County Common Police Court, to tell us about how the courts are operating during COVID, as well as other plans for the court, because justice must still move forward. Judge Sinnenberg, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be with you. Thank you so much, Nick. Oh, my, my pleasure, uh, Judge. It's, it's so good having you here, because uh, we've been talking on this program for over a year about COVID and how it has changed everything in our lives. And I know many people who aren't involved in the courts uh, maybe don't think about the fact that the courts have changed as well. Uh, and uh, be- before we talk about the courts, you're a judge in the Common Police Court. And uh, tell us a-, a little bit about yourself. Oh, thank you. Well, it's my honor to serve. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. I've 
been on the bench, uh, this is my 17th year, the first two in Cleveland Municipal Court. Uh, my presiding judge was Judge Larry Jones, a wonderful man from whom I learned a great deal. I enjoyed that experience being in the People's Court. Cleveland Muni is uh, perhaps the busiest court in the state of Ohio. I've since been serving in Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court. We have civil and criminal cases. It's uh, a trial court, the highest trial level in the state. And I also preside over recovery court, recovery court, a dual diagnosis specialized docket, serving people who are charged with low-level offenses who are also diagnosed with substance use disorder and trauma. So that's interesting. Those are the things you cover. Well, one thing that caught my attention, you mentioned the highest trial court, which said another way, there are really no limits to the things you handle in your court. Right. Uh, so civil it could be cases. civil cases. Go ahead. Sure. Unlimited jurisdiction. We could see anything from a slip and fall to a class action lawsuit and criminal cases up to capital murder. It's it's a court with 34 judges. We each have civil and criminal dockets. Uh, we have a, a really robust bench. Uh, there's a lot of action over here. Uh, and we also have a number of specialized dockets for which we feel a great deal of pride because we really strive to respond to the needs of our community and our and those that we serve. Well, I know as a trial judge and myself as a trial lawyer, I've known you for many years. And yeah, prior to COVID, oh, and mine too, but the, the COVID thing has changed things so dramatically. I know we were in such a routine with how we handled justice in the Justice Center without COVID. Right. But when COVID came and everyone, we're talking about life and death uh, infections here, uh, how did that work out for the last year in, in administering justice with time limits and moving cases and all of that? Right. Well, I think it's so interesting that you chose the word routine, Nick, because we were in a certain routine that I don't even think we realized until COVID did hit us. Uh, and we have changed to adapt to COVID, something none of us could have ever imagined nor anticipated. But you go from a court that is so busy five days a week, where, of, and of course, courts, as you know, are open. We, the whole point of justice is that it is accessible to everyone. Courts must be accessible to everyone. And we have to do this with the same concerns that every aspect of our society was thinking about, which is safety to to those that we do serve. And I have to really hand it to um, the bench as a whole, but also my presiding judge, uh, Brendan Sheehan, has just done a great job of, of staying abreast in what is happening with the virus, with uh, county the different county buildings, with the Board of Health, and he communicates with us all the time. Uh, so we did have to adapt but we had to adapt and not close. So while we changed how we did business, we didn't stop doing business. Uh, and and I, I have to tell you, I had never heard of Zoom before March of 2020. <laughs> I just have to say that some people ask, well, I haven't. I mean, every once in a while we would do, you know, conference calls. or We used to talk about, do you know there's people that work Monday through Thursday and don't work on Fridays? boy, that's a different way of thinking. And then we had to go to virtual oh appearances and uh, Zoom, but we've learned so much and we've kept some of those practices with us today. We have changed some of those old routines. 
Well, and, and that's good. I'm thinking that uh, you know we have learned so much that there are right. some efficiencies that we've yes. learned that uh, why not keep them in practice? You know, and we did ask uh, the bar what they thought. We asked lawyers what they thought. We asked staff. And when I say we, uh, again, turning over to our administration, our presiding judge, uh, one thing that we did was we relied very heavily on proceeding by Zoom. So we could still have pretrials and different hearings without subjecting anyone to the danger of contracting the virus. And of course, things changed because in the beginning, there there were no uh, vaccinations, and, and, and it was a, it was even more restrictive. Uh, but we did learn that, believe it or not, a schedule moves along really well with Zoom because mm-hmm. we have that mm-hmm. time, and, and it seems that lawyers were doing a wonderful job of respecting that they had to start at a certain time and finish at a certain time. So it helped us move along punctually. And, you know, if you don't, then you have the domino effect of if one thing if one proceeding is late, then it really affects everything else. So with Zoom, it seems that the, the bench and the bar quickly adapted to what it's like to proceed virtually, uh, albeit plenty of our technical hiccups here and there. Uh, but it has certainly reduced traffic in the building, reduced wait time for litigants, lawyers, jurors. And I think that overall it's been uh, something that, the efficiencies are the, the takeaway that we are going to hang on to. We will continue keep to do doing. virtual proceedings. Yes. Although I have to tell you, as of today, well, as of today, we're back to mask wearing and temperature taking in the building um, because of the variant. So now we're yeah, the to- Delta variant coming back. Let's hope we yeah. don't uh, sort of rebound back to where we were like last March or, or that kind of a thing. But a you know, part of being a trial court is that you have to have trials. And I know during this whole period of the COVID pandemic, having trials was something you still had to do. I had the pleasure, and I say pleasure, and honor of being a citizen, being called to jury duty, uh, and uh, appearing in your court along with 50 other potential jurors. Uh, how, you know, my experience, I'll share with you in a moment, but how was it converting from the normal how we do business to the COVID pandemic way of doing jury trials? It was it was a transition. <laughs> transition times can sometimes have a couple bumps in the road. But I, first of all, I want to thank you for coming down and being one of 50. And as you'll share, uh, it wasn't here in the Justice Center. But thank you to the Medical Mart across the street from the Justice Center. With wide open spaces, we were able to conduct jury trials there in makeshift courtrooms that had everything that we have here. Criminal trials, civil trials, we conducted at the Medical Mart, uh, including uh, impaneling grand juries. So it was a way to continue during, doing business in a building that it was much easier to accommodate social distancing than the high-rise justice center with elevators that can only take two people at a time. So uh, it was really a solution at a time when we needed it, and we were so grateful for that option. Uh, a number of us did try cases over there, We were, and for cases where we had to bring in an adequate number of jurors to cover who, whomever might be excused throughout mm-hmm. the election process, we were able to have the space we needed to socially distance and to keep people safe. So that was, we were so grateful to have that opportunity to use that venue. 
Um, well, now we're now we're actually back in the courthouse. Yes. Oh, good, you're back into the courthouse. Well, yeah. let's uh, hope that stays on without the the COVID like taking a backslide and becoming more infectious and more of a public health threat. Yes, but, we uh, all we're uh, all concerned. Just, just wanted to comment about my experience with the jury and actually as a trial lawyer mingling and mixing with jurors is quite quite a unique experience and I, I was really pleased to find out that there is so much space over at the medical mart that the, all right. the jurors I talked to felt very comfortable in, in being in this expansive <clears throat> wide open space area and also that most of the jurors uh, all of the ones I talked to did in fact look at their jury duty as a duty, as a responsibility they had as a citizen and resident of the county. So uh, I, I thought that was a great insight, and I thank you for the opportunity <laughs> letting me at least go through the jury selection process. But um, right. I, I think we are able to keep our jury system intact during this whole uh, COVID problem. Right. Well, I appreciated you being on the panel because, as, as you noted, that was such an interesting group of people, and it was touching and made anybody in the system like you feel wonderful that someone who's down there is down there considering it to be uh, a matter of pride, a civic duty, uh, something and that they were grateful certainly, to do. Certainly that, that feeling. We're talking to Common Pleas Judge Joan Sinnenberg, and we're talking about the Justice Center during the COVID pandemic. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Judge Sinnenberg in a few moments, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to Cuyahoga County Judge Joan Sinnenberg about the Cuyahoga court system and justice here in Cuyahoga County. And uh, we were talking about the COVID pandemic and how that went. But I'd first like to, again, welcome Judge Sinnenberg. Judge Sinnenberg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be with you. Well, it's great giving us some insight into what's been happening at the courts. We've been talking about uh, COVID and the pandemic and how we've all been adjusting, but beside adjusting and just getting by with uh, the pandemic and getting by with trying to get our normal business done, the court's been doing some innovative things on top of that. Uh, there's one thing called the recovery court that you're involved in. Tell us something about that. Sure. Thank you so much for asking. Recovery court is a Supreme Court specialized, uh, Supreme Court certified specialized docket in the state of Ohio, which, uh, and it's the first of its kind. We serve people who are charged with low-level, nonviolent offenses in Cuyahoga County who are also diagnosed with substance use disorder and trauma. It's a treatment-oriented docket. Our uh, clinical team that works with us, a team of 10, makes decisions for each client on an individual basis based on an assessment, and it's driven with the treatment that they must complete to get through our program successfully. And in many cases, if they do, they can uh, avoid a criminal conviction in their case. But most of all, it's taking someone who's really hit a low point in their life, gotten ensnared in the criminal justice system, which doesn't happen with most diseases. Addiction's unusual that way. And someone... Uh, who's in great need 
to heal for both themselves and for their family. We do think that addiction is a family disease. We follow the national drug court model of swift uh, sanctions for non-compliance, but there's very close accountability. Uh, someone on our recovery court docket, and we just met this morning, will see a probation officer every week or two, very frequently in the beginning, taper down. We do random drug screens. Our clients know, based on our random call-in system, that every day may be the day that they're called to test. They have to check in. They have a color assigned to them. Let's say your color is blue. If you call and it's a yellow day, you're not going to be drug tested. But if it's a day where they tell you blue is up, you must come down and submit. And that's one form of accountability that's really helpful in keeping our clients uh, on track. We also require all of our clients to participate in any of the recommended treatment, and they must participate in mental health counseling. What we did see, Nick, is that so many of the, the women on our docket uh, were, were pregnant. And, and what we learned is that with opioid-addicted women, there's an 86% rate of unplanned pregnancy. And what we would see is that so many of the parents on our dockets, because of their legal circumstances, were also losing their children, their homes, they had financial trouble. So in addition to the recovery services that we provide, and with thanks to Recovery Resources, the Adams Board, Matt Talbot, Stella Maris, CATS, and many other agencies, uh, we also developed a pro bono collaborative reaching out to civil lawyers in our community in case anybody's listening that wants to volunteer. And we assist people on criminal dockets, any criminal docket here, any of the 34 of us, although it originally started with the specialized dockets, but anyone on a criminal docket who could use the help of a volunteer civil attorney is eligible if they can't otherwise get that help. So we are really solution-oriented. We strive to build rapport and off offer a support system to our clients and their families. And after two and a half years of supervision, if our clients have been clean and met all of the clinical requirements we have a graduation ceremony three times a year. It's very moving, very touching. And then our clients spread their wings and fly and live a life of what we hope is sustained sobriety, uh, happiness, uh, getting the keys back to mom's house or uh, renewed custody with the kids and living a life mm -hmm. where they mm -hmm. find satisfaction. And so recovery court is uh, something of which we're very grateful for here. It's one of three drug courts here in Cuyahoga County, but the only one here that specializes with people duly diagnosed. It sounds like such a helpful program uh, that it's going to be attacking the underlying cause for a lot of the, right. uh, the law violations, the statutory violations. But a right. question comes to mind, you know, people listening to this, if someone is out there and they are addicted, and they hear about the program, do, it sounds kind of ironic and, and maybe silly. Well, do they have to violate the law to get into the program? No. It's funny you should say that because we feel, we feel grateful that someone is in our clutches and we do everything we can. And we worry about people who are not in the criminal justice system where they haven't had that point of intervention. But I do want to credit perhaps, you know, Bill Dunahan, who was who uh, ran the Adams Board for many, many years and was an advocate of money from opioid settlement money being put toward a diversion center. And that's where the goal is at the point of arrest rather than someone coming to a jail or getting directly involved in the court system that they can immediately be 
taken to treatment. But what we do see here is that it's a problem, addiction and substance use, uh, mental health issues. This touches every family. This is nothing new to the criminal justice system. It's just that all of our community partners see this, and everybody cares about the, the wellness of our community and the wellness of the, the family unit. So this is just another way for, the, for our court to respond. But if someone doesn't have a criminal case, that's even better. And if they need right. any advice, don't hesitate. the first thing that I think our team would, re- would recommend is that someone needs to get into treatment immediately, detox and then sustain treatment. And if they have any questions, Give us a call and we can at least connect them with our team who can help people. But there are so many resources out there, Nick. We partner with Metro Hospital and with other hospitals, but Metro has a clinic where if someone is looking to get medication-assisted treatment, counseling, they can go walk in and get help on the main campus. So Metro has been an extremely active partner, and we're really grateful to have uh, the the concern and the care that they do have. In fact, their third-year residents are required to attend recovery court sessions as part of their curriculum. So they really hmm. care about what happens to the people that, you know, with the very common problem of, of substance use disorder. And any one of us can help destigmatize the disease of addiction and help normalize it and make people not feel embarrassed or afraid to go for help because recovery <laughs> does work. Have, have we seen the program long enough to see some numbers? Do we, do we see a difference being made anywhere in any of the sectors? A, another great question. And I have to say, Judge Larry Jones uh, began drug court in Cleveland Municipal Court back in the 90s. Uh, then Judge Nancy McDonald. All these familiar names. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. And Judge Nancy McDonald, Judge Dave Mattia have the other two drug courts. But yes, there is reduced recidivism. And I believe it's basically two thirds less recidivism with drug court. Even people that don't successfully complete the drug court model still gain tools and the likelihood of them returning is decreased. So it does work. It's not perfect. Uh, recovery is not perfect. It has bumps in the road. And of course, it takes a support system and a person who's really ready to uh, wrap their arms around recovery, surrender to help and pull their weight. Uh, in recovery court, we tell our clients we can't work harder than they are. They've got to do what they have to do as well. And, but, but it is a disease that's treatable. With recovery, with that inter- intervention, people can live happy, productive, healthy lives. They can restore relationships, and their families are way better off, too. Well, it sounds like, you know, point by point, we're, we're making progress as to what's going on. Uh, over the next couple of years, what's in store for you? You're running for re-election, <laughs> I understand. Oh, I will be in November of next year, 2022. It's such an honor. Yes, sir. And it's such an honor to serve the people of Cuyahoga County and to serve on this bench where people really care about those that we serve. Uh, I mentioned the drug courts. We also have five mental health developmental disability dockets here with five of my colleagues. We have a reentry docket. uh, And we have a a veterans treatment court. Uh, So there is, we respond to what's going on in our community. And today, no surprise, Increased overdose deaths are of grave concern to everyone, and gun violence. These are the issues that we see every day. So we we also have a specialized docket here for people who are involved uh, as first offenders with gun offenses. Uh, so oh that's my. a pilot project. We're seeing how that works right now. Well, but a lot, lot of work, 
a lot of work going on, a lot to do. I wanted to mention re-election because people need to know all judges here in Cuyahoga County get elected, and it's yes. up to us voters to go and vote down the ballot and, and get these judges. So, Judge Sinneberg, thank you so much for joining us today oh. and giving us some insight into the courts. Well, thank you for what you do for the legal community. Thank you for your jury service and for all your responses, oh, which pleasure. helps educate your colleague jurors. And it's been a pleasure to you. I really... <laughs> I really appreciate joining you this evening. Thank you. Thank thank you so much, Judge Sinnenberg. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night and stay healthy. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.